News Radio's commentary, not just another podcast. Uh, the Ordinary Pickleball Podcast. You play an instrument? Yeah. can't believe I've never told you. I play bass. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I slap the bass big time. What do you... What is that? You sound like a leprechaun. No, what that's a that? reggae guy. Oh. I just did reggae. It doesn't sound... It doesn't sound reggae? No. Slap the bass. It's like big time. Big time. Big time. Slip the bass, big time. Mm. Slap at the bass. That sounded like Borat. Yeah. Now here comes your host, Kyle Abert of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast. This is episode 35 of all the geeky news you can use. My name is Kyle Abert. I'm an anime and video game voice actor from the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast of the World, Steve. And I guess now I'm officially a documentarian. And I'm your VO guy, right? You are my go-to VO guy. But you know what? You knocked that shit out of the park. Thanks. It also had something to do with just having the time. You're like, you sent the script at just the right moment where I'm sitting at the computer doing auditions for the day, and then like, oh, here's the narration uh, documentary project I can do. I can bang that out, no problem. Which for our listeners is, you know, about 3, 3.30 in the morning on my end, so... It was late. Uh, I had a lot to do. It actually kind of reminded me of uh, back in the early 2000s when I used to do some audiobooks. That's a lot of stuff, but fortunately... I was seated at the time. I gotta ask, cause, um, did you learn anything? Was there anything that was like, you don't have to go into detail, but was there anything like, wow, that, that's pretty cool or pretty interesting? I mean, it, it was like I was turning on the History Channel, but I was actually interacting with it. Well, you know, hopefully one day this will be on the History Channel. I don't know how realistic that is, but I'm working towards that. For folks wondering what the documentary is about, maybe you can fill them in on that? Sure. As I've said before, in brief, it's uh, the movie Glory, except everybody's Freemasons. Um, tells the tale of, I get it back up, I guess, a little bit. I'm a Freemason, and uh, I've been saying it for a while. I, I want to thank you all, our listeners, because Kyle and I have been doing the show for a while on Smodcast, and not a single person has challenged the fact that I'm a Freemason. And I, I appreciate that. I respect that tremendously, and I mean that really sincerely, um, that I can do something that I perceive as being very good and beneficial uh, to my community and, and not be called out would be some kind of freak for doing that. Anyways, um, it's the story about how my lodge was founded in 1857, um, about the start of the Civil War, about um, African Americans joining the army and fighting for the Union, and about how uh, masonry, colored masonry in particular, was spread throughout the South and some of the impacts it had on, on the economy and on politics. Um, and how we still remember that stuff today. So hopefully at some point I'll be able to make this available and people can dig it. And uh, even if we don't like the topic, again, it's Kyle Hebert, folks. That guy that voices Ryu from Street Fighter and Gohan from Dragon Ball Z? Yeah, that doesn't suck. He's actually a really nice, compassionate person. I can fake being sympathetic and warm and narrative and and informative and, and educational and, and all that shit while sitting in my underwear recording at 3 a.m., that's a vision. And that's why if you aspire to be a voice actor, kids, you have to be an actor first. And I, I, that's been beaten into my head from you, Kyle. Um, but it's so true. You have to have the chops if, if you're going to really make it convincing. I mean, you can be naked all you want, but if you want to go somewhere in this world, you may have to do a little bit more. And speaking of more, we have so much stuff to talk about. I, I, I want to interrupt again briefly real quick. And, and again, a big shout out to our listeners. I don't know what you guys have been doing lately, but... Our numbers continue to really jump um, for plays over on Smodco. So 
thank you again very sincerely for that. Thank you for spreading the love and spreading the word of the Big Ball Broadcast. And hopefully Kevin Smith will, will start listening. That'll be cool. And maybe it's fun to dream. One day we'll get him on here. It's like um, going to a convention. If you want it to happen, tell them you want it to happen. And if, if we can hit him in droves on Twitter and Facebook and say, hey, Kevin really needs to be a guest on the Big Ball Broadcast, damn it, maybe he'll make it happen. If he can do a voice-only role on Big Bang Theory, then he can certainly help some brothers out. I want to give a, a shout-out to our chat room, too. We do a live audio stream on Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and apparently... It's like after 2 in the morning in the UK, Jez Oldfield says, this is great. It's 2.30 a.m. here in the UK. Hello, Kyle and Steve. So thank you, an international audience, the Smodco peeps, everybody just chiming in here. We want to say hello to Princess Peach, Robert J., Cocaine and Whores. These are all their lovely screen names. Gotta love cocaine and whores. Oh, I do. Every weekend, sometimes on Thursdays. <laughs> Yay, we got people in Canada. We got people in God knows where. If I could just get a hold of the stats, the download stats, because I know we're like hosted on SoundCloud, and that gives us the number of hits and then downloads, which is something we didn't have in our first iteration. For those who don't know, Big Ball Broadcast existed for a solid five years between 2005 and 2010, uh, and that was before Smodcast existed, and we had a much smaller distribution circle, to put it lightly. Ben Bluntly. We took a little hiatus for a few years, and then I got, I got brought on board to do the voice work and promos and writing and all that stuff for, for Kevin's network here. Had an opportunity to bring back the Big Ball broadcast and all the geeky news. It was the same stuff as before, but it's a little more laid back, and we're so psyched to be here every week with you guys, talking about the shit that means a lot to us geeks and nerds. We do have a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. We don't want to say it's a downer necessarily, but we do want to give uh, much respect and props. Rest in peace to Eva. Von Craig. Now, if you don't know that name, you definitely know the character of Batgirl from the 1960s Adam West TV series. One of my first crushes, along with Catwoman, Julie Newmar, I can distinctly remember, you know, watching the animated open and going, ooh, it's a Batgirl episode. Could you see her, her little, uh, animated riding her cycle across the screen? It's like, ooh, it's one of those. So it's probably like season two or season three. A, a gorgeous woman lived to be what, 84, 85? Oh, if you're asking me, I have no fucking clue. We don't do our research here. We just kind of skim on social media things. But yeah, she, she passed passed away just uh, unfortunately about with cancer but she was on the convention circuit as recently as this year i had a lot of my personal friends respond when i reshared the post that she had passed away going oh and then they posted their pics that they they took with her at various conventions around the country according to our chat room says that that she was 78 so okay i overshot by a few years 78 78 years young by the way not to diminish her her body of work but speaking of her body um, Batman came out with the greatest time. You're talking, you know, mid late '60s, and those uh, outfits were pretty tight. Catgirl, Batgirl, uh, Catwoman, should I say? Um, very uh, provocative for us tykes growing up at that time. Um, but what is kind of sad, and, and, and I'm guilty of it, and I, I kind of apologize for it, is you really don't know somebody's true body of work if you're a casual viewer until they die. And, and reading her obituary, I was blown away because I only know her as Batgirl. But to see some really big credits like um, you know Star Trek, the, the first iteration, which was very influential on television, um, some other things, and then her work with charity, her, her and her husband, um, it, it's so much more than just being Batgirl. So I would encourage everybody who has even the, the slightest uh, 
recollection of who she is to go ahead and, and, and read her full obituary because she did a lot of good stuff and she'll be missed, I'm sure. To quote from a CNN.com article, it says, Before Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, before Joanna Cameron's Isis, before Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, Yvonne Craig was a pioneer of female superheroes on screen. She unfortunately passed away after a long two-year battle with breast cancer. She was 78. We miss her already. Well, I'm going to keep it a little bit dark uh, for just a little bit longer. My apologies. And then we'll move on to some fun stuff. I I, I want to discuss this because I thought this was kind of interesting. And it's unfortunate that there were some really fucked up situations that led to this. Um, As our listeners may be aware, very recently we had uh, back-to-back theater shootings. Um, And this is, of course, on top of the recent conviction of the really bad theater shooting. Um, And and I don't remember his name, and I don't even think we should speak his name to empower him, but um, the fucked up dude who who did that fucked up shit in that fucked up place. He he was recently convicted uh, to life, I believe, for the shootings. But anyways, we've experienced this new phenomenon of this ridiculous violence taking place in theaters. And of course... Uh, both the theater owners and the consumer at large are, are very concerned about this phenomenon. So there was a study conducted recently, and this was uh, published in Variety. And the conclusion of the study was that nearly half of moviegoers that they polled would be willing to pay extra for theater security. Now, um, I'm assuming this is a cost that would be implemented into your, your ticket cost. Um, but if the money was to go for... I'm looking right now. They're talking about adding 30% to a $10 movie ticket, so it's not a lot. Um, to have armed security at the theaters to, and I don't know necessarily prevent, but at the at the least to very early intervene uh, should something as disgusting, disgusting happen again. Um, it was also interesting, too, to read kind of the same thing about uh, some concerns with Straight Outta Compton coming to the big screens where a lot of uh, theater owners were concerned that there was the potential for some violence in the theaters because of the movie. Sony Pictures actually offered to pick up the tab for extra security for that, but should you be concerned about your health and safety when you're going out for mindless entertainment? Um, or do you feel better? Do you feel more secure if you knew, yeah, you're paying a little bit more, but there's going to be some security there for you. If you have a situation where people say they they get behind this idea on paper and then the implementation says, okay, well, this means we're going to have to go through your bags, which means it's going to, they're going to be longer lines. Just like when you go through the airport, everyone has to take their shoes off unless you're on the TSA pre-list. Providing additional security isn't just beefing up uh, the head count of uh, mall cops, people with guns just kind of sitting around. I think it is a matter of people not only having to pay for it, but having to, adjust to the way they go because not a lot of, not a lot of theaters have the business model where you can reserve your seat ahead of time and, and totally bypass lines. That's a, that's a business model that I think should become standard. I understand that people like the whole pop culture thing about, you know, waiting for a Star Wars movie and just standing in line for, you know, 6 hours as the lines go around the block. It makes for nice press and all that stuff, but let's face it, the older we get, we don't want to do that shit. I mean, especially if you're a parent with, with, with little ones. You don't, if you're going to go to the theater, especially with your little ones, you want to get in there as quickly as possible. Do you want to weigh you're being inconvenienced versus you're much safer now? Yeah, you said so a 30% bump, which isn't a lot. I mean, compared to everyone, you know, we're, we're basically stuck paying, you know, ludicrous prices for 3D. Even standard prices are, are way more than they were when we were back in the day. I'm reading in the chat and uh, 
Jez Oldfield, apologize if I don't if I didn't say that correctly, um, says it doesn't help when the media just fuels hatred. And to a certain extent, I kind of have to agree because I'm not going to get into politicking. It just gets too ugly. But in the wake of 9-11, the tragedy in New York, our entire world has changed. And one of that was the, the tremendous implementation of TSA security at the airports, um, a lot of other uh, big gatherings, types of events. And of course, things like the, the Boston uh, bombing don't help matters either. But they seem kind of sporadic. There's really no consistency or a hell of a lot of copycats out there doing it. So, you know, playing devil's advocate, is it worth playing the odds to not have the security? Because, I mean, you, yes, you've had three in a short spurt, but what's the history overall from the time theaters have been around? Um, you know, what are the chances of some deranged lunatics going to walk into a theater with, with a loaded assault rifle? Um, and are we better off playing the odds? Or is this, uh, are we falling into, uh, like, fear-mongering, where it's like, oh, man, we have to do this. And, and what's going to be next? You know, when I take my kids to McDonald's before they get into the ball pit, somebody's going to pat them down. I honestly don't know how to feel about this. I've already changed my movie-going habits in that I go to theaters that do have, you know, reserved reserved seats because I don't like the whole line thing. If you're going to do that, then that's still going to add time to go through. They're going to go through your bags or whatever. You know, even... I don't know how extensive it would be. Like, would you have to empty your pockets? Like when you go to the courthouse for jury duty, are you just going to have to empty your pockets? Anything metal, your phone, your keys, uh, spare change, whatnot, all of this stuff emptied into the thing just to go watch a damn movie. And then you brought up the TSA thing. Wasn't there a recent study that's saying 67 out of 70 uh, test run cases were, were fake bombs that managed to get through a recent TSA test run? That doesn't really <laughs> instill confidence. And additionally, the statistics prove conclusively that even with the added securities at the airports, it hasn't done anything to thwart terrorism. We, we've had people get things on the planes intentionally. Um, and as you mentioned in the test, yeah, the vast majority of the tests fail miserably. It's so sad. You have people with brass balls. Um, some of them are university professors. Some of them are advocacy groups. And they intentionally sneak shit on the planes just, just to show the press and everybody, look, look how fucking simple it is, even though you're paying $30 billion or more in taxes to have it staffed by, quote unquote, security professionals. Um, and again, that, I'm not condemning the, the government per se, um, but it's really hard to weed out what the realities are. And again, with, with a threat assessment with movie theaters, is there enough of a demand to warrant that? Or are we at a point in society where you need that sense of security to go out and enjoy something? I think it's a very dangerous time because, I mean, theaters are on their last legs to begin with. If you're going to present a situation to the public that it, it's really dangerous to go out to the movies, they're they're gone. They're, they're gone like cable's going to be soon. And everybody's just going to pirate their shit or, or watch shit on the internet and on their phones. Which, you know, Anarchy and Chaos could be the underlying movie. It's like Purge, Anarchy movie or whatever. It's like everyone can just do whatever they want. So if we get beat up security in the airplanes and we get beat up security in theaters, the next thing you know, going to the park, there's security and you have to go through the uh, the lines there and you put your change and your, and your keys and everything like that. Just going to the store, just, just running to Target to get a gallon of milk or something or walk into 7-Eleven because there's only so much you can actually prevent. And that's why I dig Amazon straight up. Um, they don't pay us any money, but 
I do dig Amazon. I enjoy the fuck out of it. My wife's a Prime member. I can order in my underwear at 3 o'clock in the morning and have it within two days without additional shipping costs. So I'm already at that point where I'm not going to get shot in a grocery store and I'm not going to get shot paying my car insurance because I'm doing all that shit. But as we move into the future and we get all the delivery drones from Amazon, that shit's just gonna, your shit's just going to get stolen. It's going to get shot down by hey, people. If I'm outside having a cigarette and I see a drone delivering a 42-inch flat-screen TV to my neighbor, it just might get intercepted. What's in the box? What's in the box? Yeah, you open the box and it could be you know tampons or it could be like the coolest Blu-ray collection ever. You joke, but I mean that to me, that's the coolest thing about Amazon is... I can get stoned off my ass, go browse through Amazon, order underwear, some gummy bears, and a battery for my truck, all in the same purchase. And as Mr. Haru says in our chat, or, or you open it up and it's dragon dildos. Well, I got my dragon incense burners, but yeah, you could see like, this is going to create a whole new level of pirate. Drone pirates. People th- that expressly set out with their, their guns and target and shoot down drones just to steal it. You said dragon dildos, and I thought, bonus! <laughs> Winning. <laughs> it's automatically 500% cooler when it's a dragon. Oh, absolutely. I would start an Instagram just to take pictures of my dragon dildo. It's probably going to get its own sitcom or a movie, maybe its own video game series. Hey, speaking of dildos, um, have you heard the news? that they're going to reboot League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yet another enter this in the category of who the fuck asked for this? i got to remind you, kids, this is the movie that made Sean Connery walk away from acting. (laughs) 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 Even perused the script since... So that's pretty devastating. They're trying to gain back that, that audience confidence by saying, look, it's going to be more true to the source material. And apparently there's a woman that puts this all together. She's led by, um, the team was led by Mina Murray from Bram Stoker's Dracula. She assembled the team, not Alan Quartermain. So in this iteration, they're going to bring Mina Murray back have her be the person who establishes the team, kind of like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. type thing where you're putting together the superhero team led by a strong female. I'm all for having that female dominant role. We certainly need a hell of a lot more of that in in modern film, but um, I don't think this is necessarily the venue to take on that task. Looking at our chat, Sigmund88 says, please, may Alan Moore approve of this one? You know, Alan Moore will never approve of any Hollywood adaptation. I think of him as the comic book version of the old man saying, get off our lawn, because he has something negative to say about every Hollywood adaptation. And yeah, the mileage does vary. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Sean Connery, yes, very poorly received. Beat for Vendetta did decent box office and decent critical acclaim, but he still hated it. Watchmen was kind of split. I personally loved it. It didn't do that great in theaters. I thought it had a better ending than the original comic, but he still took a giant shit all over it. So you get the creator, Alan Moore. He's not going to endorse anything that Hollywood does. He's That's just how he is. Now, see, I'm sitting here, and while everything you said is very much valid, I'm actually going to back Alan Moore on this one because I can't imagine what it's like when you do something earnestly. And I really think that's the type of person Alan Moore is. He doesn't half-ass things. When he tells a story, he's really giving you a part of his soul. Yeah, granted, it's really dark and twisted, but still, it's it's a part of him. It's his literary contribution. I, I believe um, Watchmen won a Pulitzer or something like that. It won ridiculous awards. So the guy knows what he's doing. I can't imagine what it's like when you're the creator and you know 
the story inside out, backwards, forwards, and, and you really poured heart and soul into it. And then somebody comes along and says, well, I'm going to do an adaptation to that. And, and in some cases, shit on the source material. In some cases, half-ass the source material. And in some cases, your vision, in the case of Watchmen, we are trying to be really true to the work. And it still doesn't quite, you know, knock it out of the park. I can't imagine what it's like to be in that position. And Alan Moore, he's kind of like, um, oh, God, dude from Ghostbusters there. Bill Murray, who we were just talking about last show. Not the type of person to jump on board something because you're waving a lot of money around. It's either something you really want to get behind to support or you don't want to be a part of it. So I, I can kind of, to a certain extent, empathize with more struggle. Right, and then there's the other side where Hollywood, not just the people coughing up hundreds of millions of dollars for the budget, I'm talking about the creative people, the writers. They want to do good by the the creators. They do want to give something. And if they do, they don't want to just change it just to change it for fuck's sake, just to whatever. I would think there's a concerted effort to make something adhere to the source material. A for effort, because Watchmen, if anything, it may be too faithful to the source material and people still found reasons to bitch. And I thought that was part of the problem was it's almost too hard to be true, too true to the source material. And I, I know that sounds relatively hypocritical, but um, I don't know. Sometimes you talk about things just being unfilmable and it, it's kind of a joke, like a meme nowadays. But I think it's true. I think there are some things that are just... Uh, better left to print. Right, yeah, like Sandman. They're seeing development to, to make that comic book into a live-action movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, obviously well-respected actor, on board as executive producer. You know, Neil Gaiman actually has some excitement level about this project. Still, at the end of the day, whether it goes to the big screen or if it becomes a miniseries or it goes to cable, like uh, Preacher with Seth Rogen producing, there's still this this huge potential for just utter failure. I guess there's still the potential for some good, and that's what makes everything a ridiculous crapshoot. Unfortunately, more crap and ridiculousness than, than, than the good side of it. We're still here, and Hollywood is still churning out shit, figuratively and literally, of course. Uh, if you're a Scooby-Doo fan, you'll be happy to know that you're not going to see a part three of the live-action films, <laughs> but you will see an animated version. Last show with the show before, I <laughs> made a fucked-up comment, as I normally do, and I said... I get America fucking up anime um, and turning them into live-action films, and of course Dragon Ball Evolution, the most glaring example of that. But I, I said something akin to, I don't think the Japanese can fuck that up. That's the home of the source material. And I'm reading today about the abysmal reviews coming in for the Attack on Titan live-action film in Japan. They're just tearing this thing apart. And I kind of had to chuckle, and, and no offense to anybody out there, but, you know, that was one of the things Funimation just really touted in one of the last press releases. Like, yes, we got the rights to the English dub for the Attack on Titan uh, live action film. And I just have the feeling now you're probably not going to see them reference that in any future uh, press releases because this thing's really taking a hit. Okay, it's their source material, but it's still different creators within that realm. You know, the live-action filmmakers aren't the same as an animation studio. In Hollywood, you have cartoon media, you have the live-action media, you have different studios, independent, corporate. So you could say, all right, yeah, they messed up their own material, but that's kind of a blanket general statement. I didn't really expect much from uh, the reviews of the live-action anime adaptations. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You're always going to find someone that'll sit there and defend it. Oh, the Death Note ones weren't that bad. You find people, even in our chat room, that's saying Dragon Ball Evolution wasn't that terrible. It is in terms of ad adapting the, the source material. As a movie, yeah, you could fare worse. There are far worse movies out there 
just have to sit through. But if you're going to adapt something, we're just talking about, you know, either faithfulness or, or, or having it just plain work on, in, in some capacity. The level of success is so beyond negative in terms of bringing anime to the big screen and having success. Now, the Scooby-Doo stuff, it had enough to warrant a sequel. I, I don't know who the hell went and saw it and liked it, but it was just enough. And maybe they recouped its losses on video the way that a lot of studios do nowadays. I'm not sure. Because they continue to crank out Scooby-Doo animated direct-to-video movies. Most recently, the one with Kiss in it, which I kind of wanted to check up. Uh, I wanted to check out because it has a lot of in-jokes about their horrible made-for-TV movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, which came out in like 78. I would watch it just for that. And I'm not even really into Scooby-Doo at all, but uh, it has a following. Maybe they're thinking, we're doing well with the direct-to-video stuff. Let's see if we blow it up to you know 90 minutes or so and and see if we can get people to, to put asses in seats in the theaters. Well, at the least, I think when something's being shown in the theater, it tends to kind of lend it a little bit more credibility. So what you're probably guaranteed is a lot more Scooby-Doo toys on the shelf. What you referenced to earlier, I wasn't even aware these things were coming out on DVD, but on Cartoon Network will we'll show them from time to time. They'll, they'll show some of these newer uh, Scooby-Doo movies. They're a mix. They're a hit or miss. I, I've, I've caught a few, um, I admit. And some of them, I think, are stellar. And some of them, I think, are really weak. But they haven't ever stopped. They, they've always kept pumping out Scooby-Doo, um, even after losing Casey Kasem and, and, and a lot of the other original voice cast. Um, so now, Warner Brothers Animation Group, they're set to release... Scooby-Doo, the movie, on uh, September 21st, 2018. Very bold. I already have a firm release date. And actually, I didn't know this before I read the article, but there's also films based on Johnny Quest and the Jetsons at some point in production, but um, everybody's pretty confident that the Scooby-Doo animated film would be the first to come out under uh, the Hanna-Barbera shield. I gotta say, for me personally, I grew up on all Hanna-Barbera pretty much, you know? The only thing non-Hanna-Barbera as a younger kid was probably Tom and Jerry, but, I mean, Yogi Bear and Quick Draw McGraw and all these characters and, and uh, El Caban, you know, Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones. I, I grew up with that. Like I said, the unique thing about Scooby-Doo is it hasn't stopped. It's always remained a, a part of our culture. So this is one I, I'm, like, fairly willing to give a pass to because it's not trying to reinvent uh, my childhood. It's not trying to bring something dark and gritty to the screen because they've already been going a little dark and gritty in, in a lot of these direct to uh, TVD movies. I'll give this a complete pass. I'm not even going to argue it in the slightest. You've got various reboots, animated, CG, live action. Some come like uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman had a live action film last year. And I'm thinking, okay, it didn't do that well. But no, you have a Netflix exclusive animated series on there. And, you know, just like you have the Penguins of Madagascar and, and things like that, Netflix being a new avenue of distribution for animated properties and whatnot, I'm surprised they wouldn't just go that route. I thought this was really interesting. My kids haven't watched PBS in a, a long time, and I kind of missed that because one great show, something I grew up with, and, and again, a very nostalgic episode of the, the podcast for me tonight. Um, it, I, I just think it was a great show, and, and that's Sesame Street. I love the entertainment, the the education, the interacting. Um, I, I just I, I applaud everything that Sesame Street and PBS does. I was talking earlier today about you know you, you got to give a lot of credit if you're talking about that to uh, to Mr. Rogers as well because if it wasn't for him there'd be no PBS. He had to fight Congress to ensure the federal government would uh, continue to fund PBS. 
Anyways, getting way off track here. But Sesame Street is going to be airing its episodes first on, get this, HBO, and get this, for the next five seasons. That is ridiculously incredible. Um, Apparently, they've got a a very ridiculous uh, grant and a deal recently, and it allows them to partner with HBO. What's really significant about this is I didn't know uh, that... Sesame Street only produced 18 episodes per season, but now with all this backing and this funding, they're actually going to bump it up to 35 new episodes a year. Um, so a lot more coming at you, and it's coming, still coming from uh, Sesame Studios, whatever the hell they call themselves. Uh, they're still in control, still going to do their thing. And these episodes are going to make it over to PBS, but they're going to uh, all premiere HBO. And the cynic in me goes, oh, does it mean they can cuss because it's going to be on HBO with lots of blood, gore, nudity, all that stuff? I'm kidding. But yeah, first it struck me really like odd. It's like, HBO, really? It's like, but go back a couple decades, Fraggle Rock was a huge success on HBO. So the Muppets have been there before. The Muppets are coming back this fall on ABC. Everyone's probably first exposure. I, I know for our generation, uh, people in their you know late 30s, early 40s, we, we grew up on Sesame Street, and that was our introduction to the Muppets. Absolutely. And I was discussing this um, with some coworkers this afternoon, and they said exactly what you said. HBO did, years ago, provide some great kids' television programming, and Fraggle Rock... It's probably the one that comes to mind first, but it was harmless, innocent, good, wholesome entertainment. And if anything, they're kind of going back to their roots in that regard. And, and uh, of course, to, to have the Muppet family and HBO blossom that relationship, I think only good things can come from that. It sounds like a wonderful partnership. Of course, it means for the parents in the world, they're going to have to have an HBO Go or or some sort of subscription to have access to this programming. For some weird reason, I didn't introduce my daughter when she was young to Sesame Street, and I wish I had. She was into Barney a little bit, like Teletubbies and then some other things, but uh, the Muppets didn't catch her imagination until her teenage years. My oldest didn't give a rat's ass about Sesame Street, but my youngest, he was an Elmo kid. Elmo was tough for me because I didn't grow up with Elmo. Um, and I found Elmo fucking annoying for the longest time. I'm actually a little more grateful that he's into Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> over Elmo. Elmo's not the whole thing. It's not the whole package. There's still Oscar the Grouch and Bert and Ernie and, and, and uh, Stuffle Up a Guess and Big Bird. They were one of the first uh, shows for kids who spoke very realistically about death when Mr. Hooper died. And, and that was very powerful not just for the kids and the families but i think culturally as a nation to say you know it's okay to address these things because you you have to at some point um they've always been groundbreaking and i can't say enough about henson studios uh just the the imagination the delight the wonder they've brought to the world you may get somebody in their 40s to start watching sesame street again cocaine and horrors in our chat room goes mr hooper is dead Oh my God, my heart. I remember that. And even just watching something uh, for nostalgia's sake, you know how you just immerse yourself in watching YouTube videos. You start entering shit that you want, used to watch. And they have that, that clip when Big Bird doesn't understand where Mr. Hooper went and the whole cast of Sesame Street's trying to explain. No, he's gone, gone. And it just, it just brings tears to your eyes. You just, you become like a little kid and you just remember it's like, Oh my God. If this wasn't the first introduction of the concept of death to children who, who hadn't already uh, had to go to a funeral for a family member or whatnot. You know, they, they've tackled really sensitive topics like divorce and even racism. Um, and unfortunately, you know, not because of death, but just because of 
needing to move on. Uh, Maria recently left Sesame Street after, I believe, 44 years. Holy shit, can't imagine having a job that long. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's just something that's it, it, it's really permeated. And uh, not only am I happy to see it going on, but I'm really happy to see it grow. And uh, I think it's one of those very few things we have left uh, in this world where it, it's just it's wholesome. It's Sesame Street. Let your kids watch it. Nothing bad can happen. Now, there's other shows that probably didn't make much of a uh, an impact on you. Like, I remember in the 90s, uh, I think there was an Elm Street TV series, and there may have been uh, at least a really short-lived one. And then there was a Friday the 13th one. And the thing that was automatically a turnoff to most audiences then was the fact that Jason Voorhees had nothing to do with it. It's like making that Final Fantasy movie, uh, The Spirits Within. Had nothing to do with what Final Fantasy fans uh, care about, know about, or anything. And, of course, it totally completely flopped but it looks like the idea of jason Voorhees is still a viable thing in hollywood oh you know if you had told me hey i heard there's a new friday the 13th series coming in netflix i probably wouldn't even think twice but surprisingly this is being picked up by the cw and the cw of course um has been knocking shit out of the park with with the dc properties so this seems like a bit of a gamble to me there's two red flags for me maybe other people might get off on it but the two red flags are first the, the show's description because they're calling it as a sophisticated horror slash slash crime thriller um and we kind of have quite a few of those on tv right now and i don't know how this is going to blend into the mix but the bigger red flag which unfortunately the studio will not go into details about right now is that this is going to be a grounded jason Voorhees, a more realistic down to earth and uh to me yeah at first the supernatural element was kind of laughable most of the movies are laughable but i mean if you got into them in the long halls, any kid from the 80s, you probably watched all these stupid movies. And it is what it is. Jason is who he is. If you're going to remove the supernatural element now and just have him be potentially just some guy who happens to kill people and has all the other vulnerabilities, I can't see this realistically lasting very long. Frank has him in our chat room said, uh, boring episodes, try too hard to be Tales from the Dark Side or The Hitchhiker. That we're talking about the original Friday the 13th TV series. It's like, yeah, yeah, why even do that? You know, you had Tales from the Crypt, another successful HBO endeavor. I'm surprised they don't just resurrect that if you want to go with something successful. Now, bringing Friday the 13th reboot series to TV on the CW, yeah, they're kicking ass with Arrow and Flash and everything, but generally the CW formula is young, pretty people, pretty much like a soap opera. It just looks like a soap opera with a with a bigger budget. And that's a turnoff to a lot of people, because people will say, well, you have to forgive it. It's like a CW show. Like, oh, okay. I don't know if it's going to be that lather, rinse, repeat formula in every episode where you have a group of people, you introduce them, their dynamics, their personalities, and then by the end of the episode, maybe one or two of them are still alive. Yeah, the virgin lives, uh, the the couple having premarital sex gets killed, uh, and then, yeah, uh, maybe they just get killed creatively, but maybe not overly graphic because it is still network television. And that's true, too. You're going to bring about, you know, probably the most famous of, of the movie killers and put them in this really nerfed environment Environment. They go on a little bit more. They say what, what's going to be going on here is that um, the long thought dead Jason Voorhees, and again I'm laughing because Jason versus Freddy wasn't too too long ago, and then the, the reboot. But apparently in this universe he's been long thought dead, 
and he's going to inhabit a new Camp Crystal Lake. So this isn't even bringing it into a, a different environment or an urban setting. This is kind of the same premise from Go, where it's Jason Voorhees terrorizing Crystal Lake. Chat room, Robert J says, MTV just started the Scream TV series, and I can't help but think who asked for it. They had a level of success that they're actually going to do a, a, another season of Scream. I haven't heard anything critically, uh, critical reviews or any fan blogs or anything about um, whether that Scream series is any good at all, because I know they deviated from from the formula from the films, and the films were very wildly successful, too. It's what the kids are into these days. How about another uh, blast of nostalgia? Uh, and again, the mileage will vary, but another reboot, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. What the blue fuck? I don't get this more than anything I haven't gotten in a long time. Just for shits and giggles, MTV airs episodes of Fresh Prince in the afternoon. So when I was at work today, and again, I'm, I'm in a very nice uh, situation where I have a nice big flat TV hanging on the wall at work. So I watched a few episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. For its time, sure. For its time, it, it made sense. Not that it ever really made sense, but I mean, as, as far as the dynamics of society and culture and everything at the time, it, 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 was, it was the right time and place for it to take place. I can't see this really happening today with with how much of society has changed to kind of have the, the same type of scenario or or grounded reality uh this to me just really feels like pandering of course uh this is being produced by none other than the guy himself will smith and there's some rumors that even Jada Pinkett Smith might come on board as a co-producer. I've heard some rumors, but nothing in this article confirms it. Perhaps Will Smith's son may be stepping in to be playing the lead role. But this is something I can't get behind at all. I think uh, the nostalgia of Fresh Prince is something. But trying to recreate it and bring it back on television, I just can't see that working out. You know, whether the, the Olsen twins come back to the Full House reboot or not, it's like, really? Is that going to make or break the show? Really? And again, you're talking about something that's bringing the same exact formula. It's not bringing anything new to the table. Only the, the names have changed. Yeah, I'm glad that worked out for you then. And, and to a certain extent, I enjoyed watching it. I don't think I want to watch the same thing over again. If I did, I'd go out and buy the, the box set, you know? Or sit there and watch Nick at Night or TV Land or, or the channels that dedicate and run these syndicated shows into the ground because there is an audience for it. And yay for those actors who are making residuals decades after the fact. I mean, they're making a living because people grew up on these shows. Maybe we're looking at it all wrong. Because if you want to be honest, Batman's been around a lot longer than you and I have been on this earth. And we've been saturated with Batman for years and years and years with comic and, and cartoons and direct-to-DVD uh, movies and theatrical releases and merchandise. And we're still going to go see the next Batman movie. So maybe there's a, a population out there where that's their thing, that's their kink, where they want to watch these crappy TV shows over and over. And people want to watch movies that they don't necessarily want sequels to, like Kindergarten Cop 2. Again, a hit movie at the time. Yeah, there's some funny moments in it. Uh, a, a little comedy romp for Arnold Schwarzenegger back in his day. He hasn't quite come back after his governorship with a uh, on-fire career. He's already launched, you know, it seems like a dozen movies, and none, even a new, the latest Terminator film, have resonated with audiences. So they haven't even gone to Arnold for a kindergarten cop sequel. Uh, but they have looked to the star of 
the live-action Masters of the Universe film. You've seen him in The Expendables as well. Can you guess who? Wait for it. He talks with the marbles in his mouth. Dolph Lundgren. Another thing I just don't get. I saw Kindergarten Cop. Does it demand a sequel decades later? I don't think so. Does it demand having somebody with the same type of speech impediments just to kind of play homage? I don't think so. <laughs> no. It's actually kind of offensive, actually. Um, there's not a lot of news on this, but the, the word is that it's uh, Dolph Lundgren and Bill Bellamy. They're going to be kindergarten cop two. Uh, sorry, trying to hold back the vomit on that one. Frank Kazim in our chat says, maybe it's really a tumor this time. On a side, side, side note. Um, Abrams let something slip today, J.J. Abrams, uh, regarding The Force Awakens, and it's not really a spoiler, so I feel confident enough that I can share it with everybody and not get pelted with rotten tomatoes. Um, but what he did have to say was, you know, nobody really knew galaxy-wide who Luke Skywalker was or who Princess Leia was, but apparently because of his escapades and his reputation, Han Solo has become something of like an urban legend. So his name is known and his exploits are known throughout the galaxy. So he's already made a, a very strong name for himself, kind of like a Billy the Kid type legend. So his name is out there throughout the galaxy. Like, you don't fuck with the soul. Yeah, we, 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 can't, we can't escape an episode of the Big Ball Broadcast without some sort of Force Awakens news. Uh, <laughs> we got seen, you know, more spoilerific uh, shots of, of characters, leaked toy designs. Here I was saying, so bragging so proudly that I'm avoiding spoilers, but I, oh, here's the Lego toys. Okay, I want to see. I want to see. I guess they weren't too spoilerific, but yeah. You can see everything else. You can see the Black Series and the three and a half uh, inch line and a couple of the vehicles. And you got uh, Drew Struzan, who made a D23 convention exclusive poster for Force Awakens, which. You know, not a lot of people are blown away with the design. Now, he is a veteran movie poster designer. Iconic. All the original Star Wars... Uh, well, not all the original ones, but uh, some of the <laughs> the original trilogy ones, and certainly the prequels, the Indiana Jones films, stuff like that. Just just remarkable paintings. Iconic paintings that have, that have lasted. And of course, why not hire the master himself, Drew Struzan, to uh, do that? And not just the Star Wars universe. All sorts of... Uh, of, of genre classics through the decades. But, uh, the latest one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who knows? Now, I was reading on Ain't It Cool that, uh, that he has, he has a lot of faith in The Force Awakens. Now, granted, he's working for these people. They're not going to sit there and badmouth a movie if they think it's terrible. I'm pretty excited. I mean, the guy's seen at least, you know, part of the rough cut, which exists, which has only been screened for Bob Iger, the head of Disney right now. How would you like to have been in that screening room? <laughs> I mean, watching, you know, a rough cut of Force Awakens and going, yeah, I think this one works. You know what was shocking, speaking of which, was, um, so they showed the rough cut, and again, emphasis is on rough cut, and uh, for, in terms of the, the film's duration, the way it stands right now, it would be the second shortest film behind Empire Strikes Back. And I'm like, fuck, if this is the first cut, how short this, is this film really going to be? <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, it's par for the course. Every movie that comes out, you buy the Blu-ray or DVD, there's always some cut scenes. I just got Fury Road on iTunes, and there's like maybe two minutes total that was cut out. I'm assuming that's all that was cut out. Uh, and 
almost always the scenes that are cut are cut for a reason. They're interesting to watch from a film historian perspective, but in terms of the creative flow of something, I absolutely totally get why you would remove certain scenes that don't forward the story, that are redundant, or maybe the performances are just off, or something's technically just like, yeah, this looks fake, I don't really like how this this does it. It interrupts the flow, once again. Um, so I get that. I'm not too worried. I don't think they're going to chisel it down to like a 90-minute movie. I think it's going to stay in the two-hour range, just like most of the other films. You know what's scary, though, is, is the way you were just talking about that. I'm thinking movies are starting to sound like DLC, where you go to the theater, you pay the price of the ticket, and you get to see part of the movie. But then later, you have to buy the same product again to get the rest of it. Right. And then we're looking at uh, Jez Oldfield in the chat says, I feel like that about the director director's cut of Aliens. Now, I think it's a very interesting movie. It's 20 minutes longer. Is it a better film? Uh, no, I think, you know, things that are cut for pacing are cut for a reason. Yeah, but unfortunately, I, I came to that not too long ago when we were talking about Star Wars and all the cut scenes with Biggs and everything. And after watching those scenes recently, I think putting them into the movie would have made them a more horrible movie. Um, something that I think has a lot of potential, and I just I just want your immediate, honest gut reaction to this. How do you feel about Star Wars Episode Nine being directed by Jurassic World director Colin Trevorrow? I don't know the man's body of work, but you know when you direct something that's popular, and you know I thought it was a fun movie. It's not great, but it's uh, it worked. It connected. It certainly was far more enjoyable than the other two Jurassic Park movies. I'm far more excited about Ryan Johnson, who did Looper. Uh, I haven't seen his other movies, but Looper just blew me away. And having his sensibilities in the Star Wars universe has me super super psyched. The action in Jurassic World, very well choreographed. I thought it was exciting. I thought it worked really well. So having, again, just like with the old school trilogy, having three different directors, three different visions, and the spinoff movies, different directors, different visions... I'm okay with that. Uh, I, of course, I would have also been okay with J.J. Abrams just, just directing this new trilogy, but that's not going to be the case. You're going to get different creators and stick to the old formula, and, and just like the old trilogy. And I could say that Empire Strikes Back is the, the best, arguably, of the old-school trilogy, and that wasn't even directed by George Lucas. Thank goodness. <laughs> right. Uh, Mr. Haro in the chat says, in regards to um, Jurassic World director directing Star Wars, says, I'm fine with it. Um, but I don't know what episode 9 is going to be like. If it's the actual end of Star Wars, then it will probably work very well. Um, and that's where it gets a little scary, because it might be like, ooh, you know, he's going to direct the last one in this trilogy, and that's really going to leave his mark. But for all we know, if these movies make a lot of money, this is just the beginning of Star Wars for us. Talks of more animated series, a live-action series, you know, the whole spin-off universe. You know, you've already had the young Han Solo movie, announced as the second spinoff movie after Rogue One, which its cast was announced. And I was super stoked to hear that, even though it's a motion capture role, Alan Tudyk, uh, as as uh, geek fans will know, as Wash from Firefly and Serenity, and, and many other movies, just a great co uh, comedic talent, too. Uh, it's great to see him attached to this. Let's not forget about the upcoming 14-acre Star Wars land coming to Disney. Oh my fucking word. I'm okay with them tearing down Toontown and all that. I mean, it sucks if you're a little kid because that was, that's what, who it was geared for. If you want to keep the parks from being stale, yeah, especially since they own Marvel and Disney. Yeah, this is actually pretty epic and Disney just announced this at their big uh, D23 convention. So check that out. There's some video and a little presentation about that. I remembered what I wanted to say earlier. Uh, because it was so profound, because this also came out of uh, 
Disney's big convention. I was kind of surprised of, of all the characters, of all the properties you would want to relaunch on television, Lion King. And that just really struck me as odd, and that's why I wanted to discuss it. Um, this is going to be a new series that's going to be uh, following Simba and Nala's second son. Um, and I forget his name right now. It's something really fucking stupid. Yeah, I'm not afraid to be honest about it. Fucking stupid. <laughs> How do you really I was, feel? I was more shocked that it was from Lion King. I would expect maybe something from Frozen or you know, maybe something from Cars. But to bring Lion King back into the mix, that to me, it seems like way too late. That, that ship sailed. Yeah, you guys can do the Google image search, but uh, you got some some preliminary teaser poster designs. Incredibles 2 got a poster, Finding Dory, Cars 3, really? They're still going to go there after the, I consider it a failure, Cars 2. I don't know anyone that liked Cars 2. I'm more concerned about Toy Story 4 just because, and I agree with a lot of the consensus on the internet, 3 really wrapped things up. You know, do you really have to push it? Let's explore some other properties. Give some other lesser-known properties or sequels or prequels or whatever. But, you know, you really got to fuck with Toy Story at this point. Inside Out even has potential for exploring, you know, more of the the emotional sides of, of characters and whatnot. I have high hopes for Incredibles, and unfortunately, that's probably where it's going to suck for me. Because I'm going to have it so hyped in my head. I'm like, oh my god, Incredibles 2. It's not going to live up to its hype. I will say, however, the one that probably has the most poten- potential is Finding Dory, because I think Ellen DeGeneres is a little underrated because she did knock it. There's my phone rings. She did knock it out of the park as that character. She was fucking hilarious, I and mean, she was certainly the highlight of that film. So I think that one there really has the potential to make some serious coin. Incredibles two, yeah. I mean, will it probably pale in comparison? Yeah, probably. But but who did who wouldn't want to see more of Frozone? Where is my super suit? I just thought it was great. People can call it a Fantastic Four ripoff all they want, but you know what? It fucking knocked it out of the park compared to the actual Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, no one wants to see Fantastic Four. We've proven it. Can they just leave that damn property alone? Let's go back. Okay, The Incredibles. People love it. It it was before its time, dare I say. It was a big animated superhero movie before the whole Marvel Universe thing took over. Marvel is totally continuing to screw with the Fantastic Four in this newly created universe that's going on in their books. Um, the Thing, he's part of another team. I forget who now. Human Torch, I believe, is with the Inhumans, or it might be vice versa. There's no mention at all of Mr. Fantastic and uh, Sue, Sue uh, Storm. And they no longer even have the Baxter building. In this universe, Spider-Man is uh, just filthy rich. He's kind of the Tony Stark now where he's become this incredible scientist and he resides in the Baxter building which is actually called the Parker building so I understand book sales were down a little bit with Fantastic Four but this just seems like a tremendous fuck you to Fox like no 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 we're erasing the Fantastic Four from Marvel (laughs) yeah nothing to see here move along these aren't the droids you're looking for all right, boys and girls, that's all the time we have for this episode of the Big Ball Broadcast. Once again, shout-outs to Cocaine and Whores, Frank Chasm, Jez Oldfield, Mr. Haru, Princess Peach, Robert J, Sigmund 88, Tara Chihime, Destron 23, Jedman 2488, Kyle TV 21880, uh, you, Otherworld Steve, uh, me, Kyle Bear, and, uh, of course, listen to the credits so you can get in touch with us and follow us and uh, all that fun stuff. Thank you for listening to us on smodcast.com and smodco internet radio until next time this is kyle abear and this is other world steve see ya 
Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com. <laughs>